Yes. Man, God is just so good. He is so faithful. Last, uh, last service, I just came up here and just started crying. I, uh, man, the Lord just filled my heart uh, with, honestly, brokenness for this generation. I, there's so many students who are going through so many things, and this message is going to be about spiritual mothers and fathers. We're going to talk about a few different passages that reflect God's heart for his children. But, man, I just want to dedicate this message to just all the students in the room. I see, you know, Danny's over there, Nevaeh, Scarlett, Mia, there's Gordo, Matt, Fernando, man, Adam. There's just so many students. If I could just name them all. I know Mike is over here. Uh-oh. I know this year hasn't, and there's Caden over there too, I know, over there. But I want you to know, this has been a really hard year. Even Raquel, I see you. The Lord has done a lot of work at the retreat this year in your life. This is for these students. And this message, let me tell you this, it's not an easy message. It's going to be a very challenging message and convicting. But I really believe the Lord has a word for us. And one of the things about me, if you don't know me, my name is John. I'm a, I've been a youth pastor here for five years, almost five years. And, you know, you probably wonder what I do, right? You're like, man, okay, you're a youth pastor. Well, I want you to know I spend a third of my week at the school campuses. The principals, whenever I walk in, they know my face, and they know who I stand for. And they, they actually, you know, they, they believe in the work that I do because they know the issues that are at hand. I know you knew that. She's a teacher. Um, but I want you to know <clears throat> we're actually in the business of restoring families and restoring the school system. Are you, in, as parents, in agreement with that word? You know, I told our leaders that students actually know that the culture they live in is fake. They live in this reality that they know that the whole world is lying to them, but they have to live in that anyway. And, you know, one thing about our youth ministry, you wonder what we do. We do not play games. And literally, I mean that. We don't play games anymore on Wednesdays. We stopped playing about a month ago. Any games in the services because kids are done playing games. They live in this reality, again, that they're done, they're done playing a fake game that is always a loss. You see, there's no hope in our schools. We are the last straw because parents sometimes aren't standing up spiritually. Life depends on the church, and the students are betting on us who have the truth. Just a, just a week ago, I was praying with a girl on Wednesday night whose mother was murdered. How do you pray with an individual, especially a young girl, and console her that her mom had passed away because she was murdered? You lead her to the father. About this past year, there was another individual that came up to me whose mother was sexually assaulted. And he said, John, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. You see, the, parent, the role that parents face is a very difficult role. I know that you guys, you work 40 hours a week, even more sometimes, and yet, you know, you have to steward your children. This is a role that God has called us to. You know, at our youth retreat, we believe in demonic strongholds, demons at work. And there was 10 students who had demons in their life, and they left because we, pl we prayed for that individual, and they're walking in freedom today. There's 13 girls that were sexually abused, and our loving, amazing girl leaders left on those girls, and they got freedom Amen. and love from the Father. 
There's eight boys who decided they would forgive their dads for leaving them. And our guy leaders cheered them on and prayed for true healing in their lives. But you know what? First party, just about a week ago or two, there was a 10th grade boy who said he was set free from drug addiction. Man, that is just amazing. Amen. Praise God. An 11th grade girl was free from being an alcoholic, but she didn't even know how to spell the word. She just knew she was one. Another girl, just this past month, stated she identified as a nobody. She got the microphone and told the whole class at Permian High School. She said, before I met Christ, I was a nobody. Note this. She didn't self-identify as a non-binary, gay, lesbian. She was a nobody. No one gave her identity growing up. But when she met Christ, she identified as someone who was chosen and called and loved. Another girl gave her life to Christ just two weeks ago and said, I had no idea Jesus was real. If this is all true, everything that I'm hearing, I want this. But only if someone had told me earlier. You see, we don't have to be so naive that this could not be our kids. But guess what? It doesn't have to be. Because we are the answer. We are called to be Sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers. I, one uh, of growing up, I really encountered the Lord at, in 10th grade. I went to uh, Missouri, uh, and uh, in 10th grade, me and my brother Mark, we had went to this camp, radically, you know, saw Jesus. And there was this girl, she's a prophetic singer and, and songwriter. Her name is Misty Edwards, and she wrote this song, and I want to put the words on the screen. And she, she heard the Lord say this. All men are broken, and broken men break their children who grow up to be broken men. And this is, she's saying on behalf of the Lord, but I am, the I am, am bigger than that. Listen, I am bigger than that. You see, many of you come from broken homes. Many come from great homes. But the real change comes when sons and daughters become spiritual mothers and fathers. You see... My first year in ministry, I really wasn't sure what I was doing. I was insecure, finding my identity in God while pointing others to him. But I realized I had a role, but more so a calling. But isn't parenting like that? Overnight, you find yourself a parent with kids, yet number one, insecurity arises. As you feel pressure from people and society as a mother or father, and while you are still finding your own identity, but guess what? God entrusts you with a beautiful soul. You see, you have a responsibility to be a spiritual mother and father. We answer the call to be a parent, but the spiritual one is a choice. One comes naturally and the, the spiritual one comes with a choice. We are not automatically spiritual parents. So again, I just want to remind you guys, today's message isn't a message not necessarily about condemnation. It's about conviction it's not judgment, it's warning. And I'm about to read some statistics that you guys are going to uh, maybe hear for the first time, or maybe you might know some of these, but it's going to kind of warn us what the, Lord, what the Lord is wanting to do in, in our students' lives, but what's actually happening. If you look to the screens, if we look at the media statistics, on average, 8 to 12-year-olds, elementary kids, use about five and a half hours of media per day. 
while 13 to 18-year-olds in middle school and high school use about eight and a half hours a day. Parents spend more than nine hours a day with screen time while overwhelmingly believe they are good role models for their kids. On bullying, nearly half of U.S. teens have been bullied or harassed online, with physical appearance being the most common reason. On sexuality, one in three teens have been sexually active in the past three months, and Christian students are most, more likely to be sexually active than their peers. 18% of Christians, 13 to 15 year olds, are sexually active. 30% of Christians, 16 to 17 year olds, and 53% of Christians who were 18 and 19 are sexually active. That is more than half. I would say half of my youth ministry today that are in high school are sexually active, if this is true. Only 36% of Christians, teens, believe marriage should be exclusively between a man and a woman. I wonder what the word has to say about that, right? He says one man and one woman. On pornography, 49% of 13, oh, excuse me, I believe I said, oh, yeah, yeah. On pornography, 49% of 13 to 19-year-olds have viewed porn within the past three months. That is half of my youth ministry right now. 15% of teens and 36% of church-going Christian teens struggle with pornography. And less than half of teens have discussed pornography with a trusted adult. 57% of teens have not discussed pornography from an adult at all. On alcohol and drugs, more than half of 7th to 12th graders are using alcohol at some point. My question today is who's offering it to them? And do we know that they are actually using it? Are we good? Are we a good or bad example? Is a good question to ask. 26% of middle school and high school students are using vape pens currently. That's one in every four students. On Christian practices, 51% of U.S. teens claim to be Christian, yet only 8% of teens display the beliefs and habits of a committed Christian. Parents, we get to decide that this is the culture in our home or not. That is something that a school will not teach our kids about Christianity or Jesus. 46% of teens never read their Bible that are Christians. Parents, we decide this one too. On church, 90% of youth active in high school church programs drop out of college or drop out of church by college with only 34% of ever returning to the church. I would say one in three students will come back to the church even if they're in my youth ministry. And then the last statistic, only one in four teens feel empowered by their parents. Again, we don't have to be so naive that this could not be our kids. But guess what? It doesn't have to be. We are the answer. We are called to be sons. Sons and daughters who are called to be spiritual mothers and fathers. And one thing I want us just to preface as we continue this message is all of us are to be called spiritual mothers and fathers. It doesn't matter if you don't have kids or if you're a grandparent. I would say the most important thing that a grandparent can do today is pray and influence their grandchildren and their children. You still have a voice. And again, so if you're thinking, oh, I'm John, I'm not a, I'm not a parent. I'm not either. And I'm going to say this too. Two and a half years ago, I gave up alcohol. I, it's not like I actually like drinking, but casually, but I recognize if I could do it, I can teach their parents that they can too, because their, their kids are dealing with that. You see, all these statistics, right, we don't have to strive to be a parent today 
for Jesus. No, no, no. We get to, because Jesus died, was buried and rose again, we get to serve. We get to lead. We get to love and bring justice to our children. I'm going to share five different points today, and I pray you'd write these down. We're going to read a couple chapters of the Bible, different variations, and I pray you'd write these down and just take them to heart of what it means to spiritually rise up. Maybe in a family, I just see some students here today that are actually leading their whole household, and I love it. And today, we get to have this choice if we want to be spiritual parents, spiritual mothers and fathers. So the first point, I would love for you to write it down, spiritual mothers and fathers pass the torch. Spiritual mothers and fathers pass the torch. I remember whenever I was younger, my dad, uh, he was a post office uh, postal man, and um, he, he decided every Tuesday he would take all of us kids to, uh, to our church. We weren't, um, at that time, he wasn't a pastor. He asked the pastor at the church we were going to if he could use the keys in the morning every Tuesday to, for all of his family to pray. And so at 6 a.m., we'd all go before his work, and we'd pray together. I was only four or five years old, but he taught us at a young age to pray. Also, my mom, too, you know, uh, one of her favorite things was teaching us the word. And so we get to pass the torch. We don't rely on a pastor or youth pastor. We rely on the parents to stand up. We're going to read Judges 2, 7 through 12. And we're going to talk about a generation who actually left the faith. And so if you can turn to Judges 2, 7 through 12. And, um, you know, and I'd encourage you guys, if your students don't see you bringing the Bible, they're not going to bring theirs or have one. Uh, one of the things that we do is we, we provide a Bible for every student on Wednesday night, and we actually have them all read it out of the Bible. And we don't like to show them on the screens because we want to teach them how to get in the word. So I pray, you know, maybe you get out your phone and use that today, but we don't need to look at our screens too much because we're already on them all day, right? But Judges 2, 7 through 12. We're going to talk about a generation who left the faith. If you can turn to Judges 2.7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaharis, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. Everyone say another generation. There's another generation, right? After them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baal. And that was not the God of Israel. In verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went about after other gods from among the God of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. I realize this is that as parents, we have to realize what are the gods, what are the idols that, are, that our students are facing? There's you know, pressure to be popular, there's social media, there's pornography, there's all these things, but we have to learn to pass the torch. But one thing I want to just recognize right now is there is a gap that a lot of us face within our kids. And how do we pass that torch? Well, before we talk about essential components to pass the torch, I want to look at this generational gap. There's five points I want to make about this scripture. The first generation experiences God. This is you as parents. You experience God. You know him. You, you know you experience him. But the second generation knows God but doesn't experience him. 
They know about him, right? This could be your kids. It doesn't have to be. The third generation, then their kids, your grandkids, don't know God or experience him because your kids didn't experience God. For real faith to thrive, each generation must become the first generation. You see, God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have cousins. He only has his children. And we have to make that choice. Are we going to be sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers to raise more sons and daughters? You see, we want our kids not only to profess a faith, but actually possess a faith. And so I want to talk about three points about learning how to pass the torch. The first one is loving God with passion is something that first has to happen in your own life. You see, God cannot do something through you or in your kids if he can't do it in you first, right? So the way we're going to model it is at home first by, you know, loving God with a passion in our own lives. Do you pray? Do you go to church faithfully? Two, that passionate reliance on God must be modeled in your home where daily life happens. Do you discuss scripture or what God showed you in prayer? Again, this is not a condemnation message. I hate always being the bearer of bad news. I'm an always encouraging person. I'd rather be the encouraging person. than. But I'm going to tell you this. To bring courage into your home is to actually face what's going on. So again, do you discuss scripture? Do you talk about with your kids? This is what God showed me. I want you to know uh, the Lord called me this past month to start a four-week Bible study with students. And I invited the whole youth ministry. I didn't really advertise. I said, whoever wants to come, they're gonna, whoever wants to learn about the Bible, we're going to teach about the Bible. And I just shared with them how to read the Bible. And, I, and one of the things is, I told them, I said, students, I said, like, one of the things is, I don't want you, this isn't going to be a semester Bible study where we just gossip and talk about everything. Typically, who, those who want to go to a Bible study don't necessarily study the Bible. And I said, I'm going to give you tools so you can learn how to read the Bible for your own self. And so again, our passionate reliance on God must be modeled in our home where daily life happens. And then three, faith that is alive and real must intentionally be taught to your children. There must be moments you teach them in instruction. Your children will resent the faith, especially if they see that your faith is not real because it's not reality at home. And does not work. You see, in, in uh, James 2.17, it says, faith without works is dead. So I want us just to think about it. How can we pass the torch this season? This is not a shame game. So I want you to think about how can I pass the torch to my children? How can we start reading the Bible together? How can we start praying together? The second point today is spiritual mothers and fathers give over their children to God. We look in the Bible, Abraham gave Isaac in Genesis 2, 22. Hannah gave Samuel in 1 Samuel 1. Mary gave Jesus in Luke 2. And God gave us his son. John 3, 16. For God so loved us, the world, that he gave. When have we withheld our children from God? We're going to read in Luke 2. 41 through 50, about when Mary forgot that she had given her son to the father. If you can turn to me to Luke 2, or at least write this down. In verse 41, it says this. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, 
Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast, the Jewish feast, was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But this is what we're going to focus on in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, where have you, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. You see, Mary had forgotten she gave her child to the father. How many of us have today forgotten that we have dedicated our children to God? We don't forget to take him to the doctor, right? We don't forget to take him to the school, 7.45, 8.30. Soccer practice on Tuesdays, Thursdays, oh, in, you know, Dallas on, this, on the weekend. But we forget to take him to church. We forget to take him to Wednesday youth. And then we expect for them to be godly children. They're amazing soccer players. That's, that's really good to know. We need to start taking our children to church on Wednesdays. I, and I'm going to tell you this. We, one of the things we took out of, just so you know my mind as a youth pastor, we, start, we stopped having hype nights. It was once a month. We do like something fun, just like, you know, uh, pizza maybe one month. And what the first Wednesday of the month, we would do like cookies and hot chocolate, things like that. But the only hype these students want and need is from Jesus. And I was thinking, well, maybe one, the one month, and this is something we've been really thinking about at the youth leaders, maybe one day a month we just gather and have community. But if, in my mind, if parents were to take them to a Friday night thing where we hang out or Wednesday, I would hate for them to conflict and the parents choose the one night of fun rather than the main thing of studying the Bible on Wednesdays. So my thing is one night a week, and I tell my leaders, my leaders are amazing. There's about six or seven leaders who faithfully serve we say, one night out of the week, we're just going to study the Bible, we're going to worship, and we're going to hear from God. One night out of the week. Again, Mary forgot she had given Jesus to the Father. How many times do we forget that we have committed to giving our children to God? The third point today is spiritual mothers and fathers use discipline and compassion at the same time. The root word in compassion... Uh, uh, in the Hebrew uh, language is actually from the mother's womb that bears compassion. I think the hardest thing for, you know, spiritual mothers and fathers, we, you know, work 40 hours a week. We love our kids. We want to provide for them, take them out to eat, encourage them. And we use compassion, right? But we forget discipline. It is so important that we don't forget the discipline aspect along with the compassion. I was, as I was studying for this message, I was thinking, like, man, who would be someone wise to learn from? And I thought of Solomon. And um, I was going to read this passage to you guys, but I just didn't have a lot of time. But I saw it in 1 Kings 1, if you want to read that later, I think it's 2. 
But uh, David charged and gave instruction to his son Solomon. David was about maybe 100 years old, old and he was going to give instruction to, to uh, Solomon. And one of the things he said, he says, I bless you. Here are some words to live out your life. And then uh, he called him, called out his identity as a man, and he said, walk in that identity. And then, you know, Solomon became king around, I don't know the specific age, but it was in his teens, 13, 14, 15. But as I was studying this, I came across uh, the first judgment Solomon would ever make in the courtroom right after David died. And so I want us to look at this uh, Bible story, and this is going to be one of the main ones we focus on today. If you can turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 3. 16 through 28, it's going to be a very interesting story, so please follow along. It's going to be about two women who are prostitutes in a home, and both of them had kids, and then we're going to see what happens. So if you turn there, 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, it goes like this, verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king, this is Solomon, in his courtroom and stood before him. The one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in my house or in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. And she rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And we see that she switched the children. When I rose in the morning, verse 21, to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I bore. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the other and said, no, they spoke before the other. I'm getting... I'll just start with verse 23. Then the king said, this one, uh, the king said, the one that says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And then the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, this is Solomon, bring me my sword. He was in the courtroom. So a sword was brought before the king. So there's this whole predicament and he brought his sword out to the two women. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. He, in essence, he was going to kill the child and give them half because they were both wanting their child. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because of her heart yearned, note that word compassion that came out of the, the mother, mother's womb, for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. You see, the mother was revealed at that moment by her compassion and love for her son. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment and that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This was a pretty crazy story because we see, you know, two women fighting for a living child and one was dead. And we see that the, the love was proved by the mother's compassion for, your, for their children, for her son. And we realize today mothers and fathers have compassion for their children, but many of them do not have discipline. And, you know, I was praying for this message. I was thinking, because I work with parents all the time. I work with students. I work with teachers. And I thought, what is, the, what is the problem today? Are parents not attentive? 
I actually really do believe this is probably one of the most attentive generations that parents really care about their kids. And I thought, well, are they naive? I don't think parents are super naive. I believe you have a clue what's going on in their lives. But what I recognize the true problem is, is parents are actually fighting with God over the rights of their children. And I recognize this. They're actually not even fighting with culture. They're fighting with God. They'd give them over to culture, but, oh, God, I don't know. He asks a lot. You see, they would prefer their children to die spiritually with them in their home than have their child thrive spiritually without them. And I realize this is compassion gone wrong. We want our kids so close, but I don't know, Lord. I don't know. In essence, this is us not trusting God with our children. You see, you gave them to the Lord, so why did you stop giving them to him every week? Hannah didn't stop with Samuel. Mary didn't with Jesus. And God certainly hasn't withheld his son from us. So why should we withhold that blessing to give our children to God? What I realize, many of us don't trust Jesus with our kids because we think we can do a better job. You see, this isn't necessarily about a parenting issue as much as a tithe issue. I want everyone to say tithe. tithe the tithe was in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, a, a, a blessing that God would, it was a, a sign that when we gave God our first 10%, that he would bless the rest. The principle of the first God allows and even wants our children to be in sports or extracurricular activities. Those aren't bad things. But when those things become first, God removes his hand of blessing altogether. And there's three riddles in this kind of mystery story of when uh, Solomon had to solve. The first was, who is the mother of the living baby? We, could, we didn't know. And the second riddle was, well, what did the other mother say when that judgment was made? But here's an even uh, crazier one is no one was expecting that does all of Israel agree with the judgment of the king? You see, this was a 15-year-old man, uh, Solomon was, and all of Israel was going to judge if he was a righteous king. But thank God those aren't the riddles for us today. The riddle for you today is, are you, number one, are you the mother and father of your children? Are you? And I think most of us with, without doubt say, yes, we are. But here's a second question. Are your children spiritually alive or dead? If you don't know, then you aren't the spiritual parent. And I'm not here today to tell you how to parent. That is not my role at all. My role is, are you the spiritual parent? And if you don't know if they're alive or dead, you might not be. But today we can be. We can start today. The third point is, do God and the church agree with your judgment? If they do, there is a command of blessing. And you can change it as quick as today. We can work with your child. We can work with you. And we can create a family that there is flourishing and blessing. You see, because we do not use discipline and compassion together, we let our children die in our household. I realize God has removed mothers and fathers from households because they had no discipline or compassion for their kids. And we see that all the time. And I, I want to leave you guys with a quote is, you cannot steward what you do not discipline. If you don't discipline your child or discipline, let's just say working out, you're not stewarding it. And I think of me working out, I have a hard time working out every single day, but my mom calls me, did you work out, John? And I said, oh, I know she's going to call me, so i got to go work out. <laughs> but I realized that 
If I steward my discipline, then I'm actually stewarding. Again, are you disciplining and using compassion with that? If you are, there's stewardship involved. The fourth point today is spiritual mothers and fathers instruct vision and discipline. I want everyone to say vision. God is going to give us vision today, today how to walk out uh, uh, and create an atmosphere of vision in our households. De- Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 say this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall text of them, talk of them when you see, sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. I realize simply it's just, uh, vision is just modeling for your children how to walk in the Lord. I want us to look to the screens. I have a kind of a five-point uh, model of how to create a vision for your house. The first, it talks about that the father establishes the vision. Now, most of you think, well, John, I am, I'm a single parent. I'm a single mother. Well, I want you to know there is so much grace and mercy that Jesus wants to be both your husband and your father. I'm going to say this for my youth ministry. I'm not married at all. But... Uh, I always pray and ask God, God, what do these kids need? Are they hopeless? Let me give them hope today. The father, that's the father's heart. And I ask in prayer. That's what he wants to do with you, single mothers and mothers and fathers who are in a marriage. First, the father establishes the vision. He prays and gets a plan from God. And two, the mother carries out the vision. Aren't we the bride of Christ? We carry out the work that the father intended in our family's lives. We talk about it with the Lord, and then we walk it out with our children. Three, third, the father deals with the patterns. The father will discipline and instruct. And again, let's talk about this single parent. You can take your children to the father right now and lead them in a prayer, and he'll deal with them. And we walk it out, right? We walk out that vision. And then four, finally, the mother and father seek wisdom together in prayer when there's difficulties that arise. I go to the student uh, campuses every single day, and there's so many things that they're faced with. And I walk, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't expect this to happen. But when I'm prayed up, the Lord will give me wisdom how to handle that situation, and he will show you, too, in prayer. And then the fifth thing, how to create a vision for the house, is there's only one goal, to raise children who are passionate Jesus followers. I didn't say great soccer players. I didn't say um, great in academics. I said passionate Jesus followers. In the end, the only thing that matters is Jesus because we're going to be with him and that's the only thing. The fifth point today is spiritual mothers and fathers create space to bless their children. I want everyone to say create space. Um, One of the things I love to do is, and man, it's super hard on Wednesdays because we've been growing our youth ministry and um, I'm prepared to teach a sermon, and I go from a meeting with our student leaders. Our students lead the whole entire service. I'm so proud of them. They, let me tell you, I don't have to do anything but preach because they are the ones, they're doing the announcements, they're, do, they're leading the prayer, they're leading every part of it because they want to, they want responsibility. But one of the things is they say, John, I have something to tell you. I should know who to tell, but I'm going to just tell you. And uh, it's just amazing to see the excitement, what the Lord is speaking to them. But I have to create space and sometimes, uh, well, I'll be like, well, let's go to the auditorium, let's sit down, what's going on? And I want you to know it's so important to create space. And uh, one of those things is affirmation. 
And I'm going to talk about affirmation here in a moment. But I want to read Proverbs 22, 6. And it says this, and this is regarding blessing our children. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Part of training is, is stewarding your children's spirituality at home, together, in prayer. Prayer in the mornings or in the evenings. Worshiping in the car rather than just another radio station. Reading the word before you go to sleep or first thing in the morning. You can gather as a family. You can do this. If you can gather to go somewhere else, you can gather in the living room and read just one passage of the Bible together and say, hey, what do you guys think? I promise you, they're only scared of you because you're scared of them. Gather them together. Walk in the authority that God has given you. Say, hey, we're going to just read this. We're going to turn off the TV. We're going to just read this. And this isn't going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward at first, but let me tell you, it's not going to be awkward because you're going to love it. And, how, and I, want you, I want you to realize what I think sometimes. Sometimes kids are like, wait, what are you doing, John? Like, oh, like I'll tell them to do crazy things sometimes. And they're like, John, like, or, and I'll tell them, don't even worry. I know it's going to be awkward, but you're going to love it. And when they embrace what God has for them, they actually love doing the work of the Lord. We need to stop creating this awkwardness with our family members. The Lord wants us to embrace them. You see, the second thing we could walk out together is just bring them on Sundays and Wednesdays. There's no excuses. Why do we plan so extravagantly for vacations, but we can't register them for camp? And let me tell you, vacations are great. I think there are times for that, but we need to make sure what's priority. Their souls are the most important thing. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now I want to talk about my favorite part is blessing your children. One of the ways we can bless our children is believing in and affirming them. Meaningful touch, eye contact, and saying, I love you. It's so funny. I kind of tell every single student they're awesome, but they are. God loves them. I think they don't hear it from their parents. But I, if I ever have a conversation with a student, I put my hand gently on them meaningfully, intentionally, say, God has a plan for you. What's going on? And they share so, so much. And, it's, and then I just say, I'm just so proud of you. It doesn't have to be that awkward to do that with our kids. We just have to create space for it. Another way to bless your kid is choosing not to criticize them. Simply love them for who they are and who God has called them to be. Who would love for their, their, their boss to always criticize them for every wrong thing that they did? No one would want that. Why are we doing that to our kids? Now, I understand their situations. Please hear me. We need to instruct and admonish. But most of the time, God is calling us out as parents just to love. Love heals wounds. The third way is by listening to them instead of judging them. Very much of the same way, by creating safe spaces for us to listen. Last one is by praying and reading with them in the mornings before school and in the evenings before bed. I remember um, my dad every single night when we were growing up, he would read to us a, uh, he'd, we have like a little bookshelf in our, uh, in our house and he said, you can pick anything off in the bookshelf. And he read to us every night, and then we'd like fall asleep, whatever. And I think sometimes we'd want two stories or whatever. But because he read to me, I get to read your children out of the Bible every single Wednesday. There is power when you do something so small. Because 
we as children have the authority to do the same with our peers and our friends. Why do we wonder why our kids are so uh, scared? It's because they're getting it from you. We have to bless, we have to receive the blessing from God, but then also give it to our children. So safe spaces, this is something I've been talking about a lot, but safe spaces, uh, we have to create safe spaces throughout the week for us to form deep relationship and meaningful dialogue with our children. Have daily conversations with your kids. I know there are many grandparents who have kids who have left the household, but again, the most important thing you can do as a grandparent or a parent who has left, text them every day. It's so easy to text. Pray for them. They know when you're praying and influence them with your decisions. Set a weekly outing if y'all live in the same town and spend time together. One of the things I, uh, I'm in my uh, fifth year of my master's degree, and one of the things I took a class on adolescence, and one of the things I say is social norms have uh, been slower, or kids are growing more and more slower in their uh, maturity because of social norms. The new middle school is the new elementary because the, the, the social norms are just so uh, tight-knit in the sense of like, we're not giving them any room to have an identity. High school is the same way. It's the new middle school. College is the new high school because it gives them freedom, but then they're making mistakes later in life. And then outside of college, they don't know what to do. And one of the things is that we can point to our children and say, well, it wasn't like that whenever I was grow, grew up. I was married at 18, and I got a job when I was 10. But one of the things, we're, we're blaming them for something we're not teaching them about. So the blame actually falls on us because we're not instructing our kids. We're not blessing them and creating a way for them to walk in. I want to close this message. I know it's been a long message, but I want to share with you what our kingdom youth actually have to say about your family. I actually have asked what kingdom youth, our kids, what they want their parents to know, what they need from their parents, and what they're actually facing. I asked a few of our students these questions the past couple of weeks. The first question I asked is, what problems we are facing? And kids, they said, our children, they say, number one, our depression and anxiety is real, and our parents don't think so. Two, we have a lot of peer pressure from our friends. Three, we want to make our parents proud while going through our own stress. Four, we give attitude because we don't know how to deal with our stress. And five, we put on a mask when we get in the car because parents ask if we're okay and we don't want to bother our or be a nuisance because our parents are already stressed out as it is. The next question I ask is, one thing you want your parents to know. Here we go. The first one is, we are physically and mentally exhausted and I still want to be responsible but give me time to comprehend what you want me to do. Don't put me on edge. They want y'all to realize they're humans too and go through hard things. Two, we want deep conversations for you to listen and respond to what we are saying in love. Three, when is the last time you have made time, not by passing by, to what we are thinking and what we actually need? Four, we listen to your stress, but can you listen to ours? Five, don't make everything into a lesson. This is not your generation. It is a different generation. Stop comparing. 
And then the last question is one thing students need. One student said, we want you to sit down and talk to us. Another student said, we don't want vacation or material things. We want our parents to lead us. We need help. Another student said, we don't want your input. We want your prayers. Prayers is more necessary to us because we know when we are covered in prayer and when we are not. Ouch. Understand where we are coming from. And then the fifth one, we need a lot of love because we are faced with a lot of peer pressure. And then ask one more question. I said, what? Because I just was interested. I'm like, man, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know all these things. I said, what forms your opinion? Like, who, like, who forms your opinion? And one of the things they said is they said, our friends, like, form, the peer pressure we face form our opinions. And then I said, well, what are other things? And then they said, well, the second thing I would say is, uh, what's trending? Like, what our, our friends are doing, that's what we want to do. And then the third thing they said is uh, social media. Now, notice this. Parents weren't on the list. You see, if you have nothing to instruct them with, they have no standard to live up to. It's time to get a vision from God and have him show us what we need to do as mothers and fathers. The culture in our homes must be stronger than the culture in the world today. You see, we don't have to be so naive that this could not be our kids. But guess what? It doesn't have to be. We are the answer. We are mothers and fathers.